Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Happy birthday to my dad. Happy Inauguration Day, too, at least here in the U.S. I could always remember when Inauguration Day is here in the U.S. because it's the same day as my dad's birthday. A new president isn't going to fix all of the systemic problems here, but at least it's a step back in the right direction. At any rate, I hope wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, that you are well. Today we have another Odyssey episode. We are up to book 21. In case you've forgotten, there are only 24 books, so we are closing in on the end. And today we'll finally see some of the events that have been foreshadowed in the previous books. At the start of book 21, Penelope, with a little boost of confidence from Athena, gets out Odysseus's bow and sets up the axes for the test. Now, this is no ordinary bow. So Homer can't jump right to the competition without giving several lines of background. You see, once upon a time, Odysseus received the bow from um, Iphitos. Odysseus had gone to Messenia because the Messenians had stolen 300 Ithacan sheep, and Iphitos had also gone to Messenia because he was chasing a dozen stray mares into their colts. And in his chase, Iphitos ran into none other than Heracles, who killed him so that he could keep the mares and colts for himself. But before that happened, Iphitos and Odysseus met and traded weapons because that was a thing you did when you made a new BFF. Um, you can think of it as kind of like when, you know, you forget your, I don't know, your scarf at a friend's house and you say that now you have to visit each other again so that you can get your scarf back. Um, so by swapping weapons, they've made a pact to visit each other so they can get their weapons back. Um, but... Heracles kills Iphitos before they get a chance, so Odysseus sets the bow aside as a keepsake. He chooses not to take it with him to Troy, and that's why it's still at the palace in Ithaca. But Homer digresses. Penelope picks up that bow and hugs it and weeps over this last piece of her husband, and then she takes a deep breath and directs the maids to set up the axes. Once that is done, she announces the challenge. Here is Odysseus's bow. Whoever can string the bow and then send an arrow through all 12 axes will be her husband, no matter how much she hates the idea of leaving her home on Ithaca. And she directs Eumaeus to present the bow to the suitors, which he does despite the fact that he tears up at having to do it. And the cowherd cries too. Antinous sneers at the emotional outburst of these two faithful servants. Then he comments about how he remembers Odysseus from when he was a child. He's doubtful anyone in present company will be able to string the bow. Telemachus raises his hand. I mean, he's Odysseus's son. Maybe he can do it. He tries and fails three times. But on the fourth time, he almost has it when Odysseus shoots him a look. The plan simply won't work if Telemachus succeeds in the test of the bow. Telemachus immediately stops and throws a little temper tantrum over how he just can't do it, even though he totally could. Well, as he noted, you know, he is Odysseus' son. He says that clearly one of his elders will have to try. He puts the bow down and sits back down. Antinous announces that they'll go around the room and everyone will get a chance. First up is uh, Laodes, but he can't even get the bow to bend, let alone get the string to go from one end to the other. He says that this bow will break the heart and spirit of many strong men. 
which is a much truer statement than he realizes. <laughs> Antinous is furious at this response. Instead, he calls for Melanthius, the goat herd, to build up the fire and fetch lard so that all the other contestants can use the heat and grease to try and make the wood more flexible, which is what they do. But it doesn't help. One by one, they try and fail. But Antinous and Eurymachus hold back, waiting until the end of the contest to take their turns. Meanwhile, out in the courtyard, the swineherd and cowherd leave the hall, and Odysseus follows them into the courtyard. He swears them to secrecy, and then reveals his identity, showing them his scar as proof. Not that either of them really need the proof. They're already rejoicing at the news that Odysseus has returned. Odysseus tells them to settle down before someone inside notices. He tells Eumaeus to let him have a chance with the bow, no matter how much the suitors object, and to tell the women to shut themselves in their quarters and stay there, no matter what sounds they hear from the hall. And he tells Philoetus to lock the outer gates and secure the exit. Odysseus goes back to his stool in the doorway, and then the two servants, one by one, follow him and follow their orders. Back inside, Eurymachus is trying to string the bow, but he is unable to do so. He grumbles about his failure. Antinous tells him to buck up because everyone is celebrating that day as a holiday. He suggests that they leave the test set up and spend the rest of the day in feasting. Tomorrow they can make a sacrifice to Apollo, the god of archers, when they try the test again. And everyone thinks that this sounds like a great plan. Well, except for Odysseus. He asks if he can have a try, you know, for old time's sake. Antinous tells the beggar that that's a stupid idea. It reminds him of how the centaur Euturion went to a feast at Perithoas's house, got drunk and destroyed the place. In, in stopping him, the princes of the hall cropped his ears and his nose, and that's why centaurs and humans don't get along. But Penelope steps in and tells Antinous that she will not countenance such a treatment of a guest of her grown son. Besides, is he scared that this old man is actually going to be able to string the bow when no one else has been able to do, so, do it so far? Eurymachus tries to argue against letting the beggar try the test, but Penelope shuts him down too. She promises some new clothes and safe passage to the beggar if he succeeds where the suitors have so far failed. Telemachus tries to take over now, saying that he's the one who should decide who gets to try the test, and she should just concern herself with her spinning and weaving. Penelope is hurt by the way, she, way he speaks to her, but she still takes her women to her rooms where she throws herself on her bed and cries for Odysseus until Athena puts her to sleep. Back downstairs, Eumaeus takes the bow and gives it to Odysseus despite the taunts of the suitors. Odysseus takes his time. He relishes that bow, turning it over in his hands, feeling the smooth wood, checking to make sure that it hasn't been infested by termites in his absence. <laughs> the suitors laugh and make jokes. And then with a single move, Odysseus strings the bow as easily as a bard strings his lyre. And like a bard, he gives the string a pluck. And that shuts up the suitors. And Zeus sends one loud peal of thunder, which makes Odysseus laugh. He picks up an arrow, knocks it, and makes a perfect shot. Then he quietly says to Telemachus that it's time for the feast. He gives a slight nod, and Telemachus responds by belting on his sword and rising to join his father. And that is where Book 21 ends. Thank you.
I'd say the Odyssey is finally getting exciting, but that means ignoring the whole polyphemus incident. <laughs> but after several books of buildup, we are finally reading the payoff. Do you remember Wishbone, um, the PBS show with the Jack Russell Terrier who loved literature? Um, the Odyssey episode is pretty amusing when Wishbone is is Odysseus pretending to be the beggar and doing the test of the bow. Um, Honestly, my favorite Wishbone episode is probably when they do the Aeneid, um, but we haven't gotten to the Roman epics yet. I'd say I'll try to remember to mention that episode when we get to the Aeneid, but I highly doubt that I will forget because I, it is my favorite. Anyway, um, I, do, I do have this tendency to picture Wishbone as Odysseus at, in this scene at that at that exact moment of, of him lining up the shot, too. <laughs> I, that's where my brain goes. Um, anyway... But the one part, um, rereading this, that made me stop is the Heracles story. What the fork is Heracles doing in this book? Uh, Most mythology puts the age of heroes, such as Heracles, a generation before the age of the Trojan War. Um, But when we are told the history of the bow, Heracles and Odysseus are contemporaries. In other parts of the Odyssey, Heracles is, is even referred to as one of those old-time heroes who's long gone. Um, so what what is he doing there? Um, so here's here's a bit of behind the scenes. Uh, JSTOR, J-S-T-O-R, is an excellent resource for independent researchers who do not have full access to academic libraries. So people like me. Um, <laughs> and when I started this project, like this Triumvir Clio School of Classical Civilization project, um, I could get free five art. Sorry, I could get five free articles every month, um, and then 2020 rolled around, and JSTOR decided that people like me should get access to 100 free articles every month. Uh, so JSTOR is my go-to for <laughs> for free access to scholarly articles about all of these ancient works that we're reading. If there is something that confuses me or that I need to know more about. Someone has probably written about it, and if it's been published, I can usually find it on JSTOR. Um, so, because I'd forgotten this whole Heracles storyline, and I was really confused by what on earth was was happening in it when I was trying to write it up to explain it to you, um, I checked the scholarly lit and found a 1997 article by Catherine Chrissy that addresses this very question, which means we're talking AP credit here, people. Uh, so... Why is Heracles suddenly in the story? Uh, one answer? <laughs> it's my favorite. Liminality. Odysseus lives in a liminal space between the great heroes like Heracles and the weak generation represented by the suitors. He's not a hero like Heracles, but he is a Trojan War vet, which is something the suitors are not. Um, so so he's somewhere in between, and so maybe that's why Heracles appears. Um and also, the bow has this link to a violation of guest-host relationships. Heracles violates this relationship when he kills Iphitos. Um, and the suitors have been violating the guest-host relationship by being the jerks that they are. Um, and the parallel continues in that Heracles kills his guest and Odysseus... Um, well, I would normally give a 2,500-year-old spoiler alert, but since we will see exactly what Odysseus does next week, I'm not going to go into any more detail on that aspect here. Um, if you've read ahead or read the Odyssey before or watched the Wishbone episode, then you know what's coming next and um, you know where that parallel continues. So 
why is Heracles in this story? Consider it a literary flourish, um, AP credit for going into detail. Penelope, as always, rocks in this book. She totally puts the suitors in their place. Um, and again, you have to wonder if she knows that the beggar is Odysseus before he strings the bow. Does she want him to try the test because it would be rude not to? Or does she want him to try because she knows, or at least there's a part of her that knows, that he is Odysseus? Now, of course, she's gone off to her room and has been put to sleep by Athena before he tries his hand at it. Which brings me to Telemachus. As I've noted before, this epic really consists of two different stories. We have the titular Odyssey, the story of Odysseus's journey and homecoming, but we also have the Telemachy, uh, Telemachus's coming of age story. And even though the two storylines have now merged, we still see that both stories are happening. We're still addressing everything that needs to be addressed for Odysseus to complete his homecoming. And we're still addressing the issues that are standing in way from Telemachus fully coming of age. Um, and that makes me really frustrated with Telemachus. Because for the most part, he's he's a nice guy. Um, but and he talks to his mother in a way that he is incredibly rude to her. And this is one of the times that he is. And it really pisses me off in this book because it, he doesn't disagree with her. It's not as though she's saying, let the beggar try the test tomorrow. And Telemachus is saying, no, he should try the test tonight. She says, give him the bow. And Telemachus says, no, I want to give him the bow. Go to your room, woman. Because here's the thing, by coming of age, Telemachus is now a man, and in ancient Greece, being a man means that you get to boss all of the women in your life, including your mother, who brought you into this world and can bring you out of it. But if Penelope knows that the beggar is Odysseus, maybe her meek response to this treatment isn't as frustrating as it seems at face value. If she already has figured it out, then she would realize that Telemachus is trying to get her out of the room before the killing starts. So maybe there's something to this exchange that Homer, man that he was, didn't include in his telling of the story. So what do you think? Does Penelope know that the beggar is Odysseus yet? I'd love to hear your thoughts on Penelope, Telemachus, Odysseus, Antinous, and anything else that this book made you think of. The blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. I may have included the aforementioned Wishbone episode, which means I totally included the aforementioned Wishbone episode. <laughs> Find me on Patreon as triumvirclio. That URL is in the show notes too. On Friday, we will cover the two Homeric hymns to Hestia. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.